3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. It is Thursday, the 22nd of June? 23rd. 23rd. I put the wrong... Yeah, Wednesday the 22nd, Thursday the 23rd. That's what I did. If you saw my awkward little tweet and delete of uh, what was going to be on for the show, I put it as the 22nd, and I was like, nope, that's not today, and I still said it. But good morning, Leela. Good morning, Priya. For some strange reason, I had deja vu about today's date, like... I had experienced the 23rd of this month on a Thursday really recently. (laughs) Already. As recently as last year? (laughs) I actually don't know. And that's, that's, it seems unlikely that it would fall in the, that's not how years work. Maybe it's the lockdown time warp. It still gets me. That is true. I still have very little conception of time. I know when it's a Thursday. I don't know what date the Thursday is, but I know (laughs) when it's a Thursday. Um, And this Thursday we have, um, Actually, before we jump into the rundown, I'll just remind people, Radiothon is still going this month. So you would have caught our excellent Radiothon show last week. Thank you so much, everybody, for donating, for um, you know, for the folks that called in. We really appreciate all your support. And you can continue to keep community strong uh, by donating to 3CR's Radiothon um, by heading to uh, online, GiveNow.com dot com dot oh, is it dot com dot au give now dot com dot au forward slash cr forward slash breakfast and nominating thursday but you can also donate online at three cr dot org dot au forward slash donate um and what about on the phone yeah can you still sms priya you can sms okay. just sms your pledge and somebody will text you back and let you know how to pay Yep, so that number is 0488-809-855. And you can also call in at any time on 93... Wait, oh my goodness, my brain is just Nine, like... <laughs> my brain is off this morning, go ahead. 94198377. It is so wild how many times you say these things and it's still... Yeah. Well, that's an indication of the kind of morning that I'm having. But hopefully you're having a better morning. Hopefully you've got a cup of something nice and hot in front of you listening to the radio. You might be getting ready for work. You might be in the car. Um, you know, you could be listening to this on 855 AM or on 3CR.org.au forward slash streaming because you can listen online. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Of course, given the morning that it is, I absolutely skipped, breezed past the, um, breezed past the 
rundown of what we've got on for today. So we'll just quickly let you know what's on for the show. So first up, we're going to hear from Arnda activist Barbara Shaw from the Intervention Rollback Action Group, or IRAG, who spoke at a rally on Saturday the 18th of June in Mbantua Alice Springs calling for Karanjala Muwajari, or No Guns in Community. And the Karanjala Muwajari campaign has been organized by members of the Yundamu community, demanding a ceasefire and the restoration of self-determination to Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory. So really looking forward to playing that speech. It also connects with the issue of the Northern Territory intervention, which is meant to end this year. Um, And then we've got an interview with Blockade Australia. Yes, we will be joined by Zayana Fouad, uh, who's a member of the climate activist group Blockade Australia, to speak on the recent heavily armed police raid at a New South Wales property on Sunday the 19th of June. The raid was triggered after activists spotted camouflaged unmarked police officers filming them, followed by dozens of police storming the site and detaining prisoners. Seven protesters were charged on Sunday with a range of offences. Five of them have been slammed with extremely punitive conditions, such as being denied bail and charges that carry a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. And then we will be chatting to Anna Weeks about the Darwin uh, and Santos, the Darwin Festival, sorry, (laughs) Santos deal, uh, and how the arts community can move away from fossil fuel money. Yeah, um, absolutely a concerning issue, and especially in light of the Blockade Australia raid as well. It's like there's been a sort of crackdown on climate action left, right and centre, whether it's by corporate uh, insertion or direct police action. And finally, we're going to be joined by Mamad Aidani, who's a human rights uh, advocate, poet, playwright, theatre director and psychosocial researcher, who's speaking with us today about the play I Said This to the Bird, which is currently showing at the Institute of Postcolonial Studies with upcoming performances from the 24th to the 26th of June. So hopefully we'll give you a little insight into something you can do on your weekend and also some takeaways about important action that you might be interested in taking around solidarity and climate justice. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people, and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. And we're back on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast, and we're going to head into the news headlines for Thursday, the 23rd of June. So climate activists associated with Blockade Australia, who were subjected to a police raid and arrested over the weekend, have been slammed with extreme bail conditions and non-association orders. The raid, where up to 100 police officers entered private property west of Sydney, wearing body armour and full-face helmets, was triggered after activists spotted unmarked police filming them from behind bushes. Seven activists were arrested and given charges with a maximum sentence of up to 10 years. 
Two of those arrested were refused bail and will remain imprisoned until their court hearings in mid-July. In other news, recent reports have revealed that missile testing in the Woomera prohibited area, sorry about that, was undertaken by the Defence Department a mere 50 metres from a site sacred to Kokotha First Nations people. Ongoing testing puts the site at great risk, and lack of clean-up over the past decade means missile fragments and other debris litter areas connected to Jakarta or storylines of the Kokotha people. Kokotha law man Andrew Starkey says the traditional owners are concerned that the failure of the Defence Force to respect these sites means they remain contaminated. Also in headlines, refugees held on Nauru and others locked up in detention arrangements in Australia are facing COVID outbreaks, lack of access to proper services and a rising cost of living. Those held in Nauru are reportedly extremely anxious about hospitals that are ill-equipped to deal with acute COVID cases following the hospitalization of three refugees recently. The cost of living crisis means that refugees and asylum seekers in Nauru are being pushed further into poverty and are struggling to buy basic food and essential items. Meanwhile, the spread of COVID in the Melbourne Immigration Transit Accommodation is reaching new heights, with COVID cases affecting more than two-thirds of residents in some compounds, following numerous health protocol failures by guards and detention centre staff. And for further and for important updates from further afield, total collapse of the Sri Lankan economy has been declared by Prime Minister Wickramasinghe this week, following months of food, fuel and electricity shortages. Sri Lanka is calling on China, India and Japan to provide foreign assistance and is in talks with the International Monetary Fund to negotiate a bailout program. And finally, in news headlines, more than 1,000 people have been killed and 15,000 injured in a devastating earthquake in Afghanistan yesterday, with the death toll expected to rise as more information comes in from remote mountain villages. The disaster comes as Afghanistan continues to endure a severe economic crisis since the Taliban took over last August. In response to the Taliban takeover, but against the urging of humanitarian organizations, governments have imposed sanctions on Afghanistan's banking sector and cut billions of dollars worth of development aid. Early this morning, the BBC has reported that the Taliban has now appealed for international aid in the wake of this devastating incident. And these have been the news headlines for Thursday, the 23rd of June, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM. PX Fano is a Pacifica LGBTIQ plus podcast providing a platform for Pacifica communities to unpack and discuss the narratives and the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Presented by Pacific X, a collective that celebrates Pacific Island LGBTIQ communities through meaningful connections that honours cultural and gender identities. You can catch the podcast series every Sunday during Out of the Pan at around 12.30pm or on your favourite podcast platform. Supported by 3CR and funded by the Victorian Government Multicultural Communications Outreach Programme, For more information, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash out of the pan.
And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And we're now going to hear some audio from the Karanjala Muajari rally in Mpantua Alice Springs on the 18th of June. And here, Aranda activist Barbara Shaw from the Intervention Rollback Action Group, or IRAG, was speaking at this rally calling for Karanjala Muajari no guns in community and a ceasefire in remote Aboriginal communities. So this campaign, Karanjala Mowajari, has been organized by members of the Yundamu community and it demands a ceasefire and the restoration of self-determination to Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory. In this speech, Barbara Shaw connects the 15th anniversary of the Northern Territory intervention with state violence in Aboriginal communities. And I just wanted to extend my thanks to the Punk Tree Hour crew on 8CCC Community Radio, Alice Springs in Tennant Creek, for sharing this recording with us. And I'll give you more information about how to support Karanjala Mowajari at the end of this speech by Barbara Shaw. First of all, I'd like everyone to stand up and take a minute of silence. Just show respect for our past elders. Thank you, everyone. And that also, standing in silence, also reflects on Kumanjay Walker. I was asked to speak today, but first of all, I'd like to acknowledge the land on which we're gathered today, out of the country, pay our respect to our elders, past, present and emerging leaders, I was asked to speak today um, on behalf of the intervention. This week marks 15 years of the intervention and stronger futures. One of the greatest leaders that I had the opportunity of being a colleague with, also my uncle, Mr Nelson, With Yundamu, I'd like you guys to put your hands together and give a clap to the people of Yundamu. They were, Yundamu was the largest community in Central Australia that stood up to the intervention, especially with the compulsory land acquisitions. They also stood up against the intervention because of the racist laws that came into our communities, town camps and outstations. Intervention came in under John Howard. He only put it in for five years. Kevin Rudd and Jenny Macklin come along, gave us stronger futures for ten years. And this week actually marks the end of the intervention and stronger futures. We don't know what the government's got in place, but there are three things that the government's going to keep. In 2007, we saw statutory rights over buildings which took over all the stores, so the government owns the stores in our communities. We saw school enrolments and attendance measures trying to keep kids in school but unfortunately these days it's not happening. 
They want to keep the alcohol laws in place because they believe that every Aboriginal man is a woman basher and a pedophile. Unfortunately, over the last 15 years, we still saw domestic violence. We still saw perpetrators harming our women and our children. We haven't seen good enrolments at schools. You can clearly see that by social media of Alice Springs, Tennant Creek, Catherine Darwin, Palmerston, where our kids are just breaking in to places. They're not going to school. So they're getting locked up all the time. Like Chris Tomlins was saying and Yaya Sabella was saying, we need to take responsibility, even like with our brothers and sisters over here talking about how we should be working together. We've only seen since 2018, when the Northern Territory Government signed an agreement marking 30 years of the Barunga Statement, working on a treaty. The Northern Territory is still trying to work with us and meet us at the table. We just saw a federal election where Labor won. We have 11, 10, 11 Aboriginal people representing us in Parliament. But unfortunately, they have to toe the party line. Also since 2018, the Uluru Statement from the Heart came out. I was actually involved with that, putting it together, sitting down at the table, making sure that we get words in there that reflect on our First Nations peoples. We called for a voice to Parliament so nothing like this could happen at Yindamu ever again or the intervention can come into our communities or the racial discrimination should be suspended just for Aboriginal people. Constitutional change needs to happen because of the race powers. And because of the race powers and people that reflect on people with colour, they can target any ethnic groups that aren't, I've got to say, not Aboriginal or white. And that's what the race powers are, that they can make special laws under the Australian Constitution to target anybody with colour. Like our sister was saying, governments can target anybody of colour. Yaya Sabella has always been involved with the Grandmothers Against Removal since the Royal Commission into Dondale and Youth Detention or, and that just recently, calling for kids on country and not in custody. Yeah, we do have to take responsibility for our children's actions and what they do in our town centres and what they do in communities. We have to take them back and we've got to show them law and respect and start respecting our elders. My son here, Jamba Jimba, 
calling for no guns in communities. Our Commissioner, Jamie Chalker, the NT Police Commissioner, he can make a difference. He can make history by working with Aboriginal people in what Aboriginal people want. But at the same time, we need to build our own. If we don't want no white coppers in our communities, well, we need to build our own. We need to make our own. We need our own people to look after our own people in communities. And Jamie Chalker, the NT Police Commissioner, he can make a difference and he can make history by allowing that to happen. Our elders on land council, we talk about our children all the time and we talk about the treatment that we're having. But what we have to do is also where the government and agencies need to meet us is help us. Not run it for us. You need to help us so we can do it ourselves. Because a lot of Aboriginal elders in communities, they got ideas how to look after their kids and their peoples. And that's where Sister was saying, exercising our rights, our autonomy. It's not about domestic violence. It's not about kids running this town or Tennant Creek, Catherine, Darwin, Palmerston. It's about allowing us to do our jobs to raise our children the right way and the best way we know how. And that's out on country and showing them respect. Like my old people taught me. How to look after our old people. How to respect our elders. It's very disheartening about what's going on. It's a shame that there's an inquiry after the fact that an event happened, incident happened at Yundamu, and now that he's walking free, inquiries come after. And which is a bit hard on the people of Yundamu because they don't want no more guns in communities anymore. And that's what they're here for. And this is what's happened because of the intervention. All I could say is that we just need to look after our own, build our own, and meet us at the table where it's needed. Thank you. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And you just heard Aranda activist Barbara Shaw from the Intervention Rollback Action Group, or IRAG, who is speaking at a rally on Saturday, the 18th of June, in Ubuntu Alice Springs, calling for Karanjarla Mwajari, or No Guns in Community, which demands a ceasefire and the restoration of self-determination to Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory. And in that speech, you would have heard Barbara Shaw connecting the 15th anniversary of the Northern Territory intervention with state violence in Aboriginal communities. And just to note that that 15th anniversary this year also coincides with the sunsetting of the legislation that enabled stronger futures. So it's still to be seen uh, what the new Albanese Labour government is going to be doing about that. And this very clear statement of demands put out by the Yundamu community uh, really shows the um, you know, the amount of thinking and concern about the restoration of self-governance that has gone into this. So once again, thanks to the Punk Tree Hour crew on 8 C Community Radio, Alice Springs in Tennant Creek for sharing the recording with us. And you can find out how to support Karanjarla Muwajari at K-A-R-R-I-N 
J-A-R-L-A-M-U-W-A-J-A-R-R-I.org. And you can also listen back to speeches from the rally by looking up Karanjala Mojari on Instagram. And more information about IRAG is available via their Facebook page, and that's at Intervention Rollback Action Group. Hey! Every Wednesday at 11am, join me, Bunjalini, at the fire on Community Radio 3CR. Three hours of historically informed, critical analysis of Aboriginal affairs and the ongoing political movement for land rights, treaty, sovereignty and the cessation of genocide. Featuring the best of black music. Bundles Fire, 11am to 2pm, every Wednesday on Community Radio 3CR. And now we will go to a very special song by Parvin of their album Sa called Are You My Love?
just heard a song by Parvin and of their album Sa called Are You My Love? Ready to get your dancing shoes on uh, for another event <laughs> uh, for the Emerging Writers Festival uh, called Nali Writers. So it's uh, showing tonight actually at the Emerging Writers Festival from 7.30 to 8.30 at the Loop Project Space and Bar in Myers Place, Melbourne, which is near Parliament and a very nice beautiful venue. Um, Nali Writers actually celebrates storytellers who've been in the public mental health system for decades, and these artists will bring you insights into the system and into healing, which might come in handy to anyone starting out in a mental health lived experience apprenticeship or seeking validation for a lifetime of service. This event emphasizes that writing one's own story can be more than a chance to impart words of wisdom. It's also an act of freedom from a lifetime of being recorded. This event will be wheelchair accessible and Auslan interpreted on request, and you can get tickets by searching Nali Writers at emergingwritersfestival.org.au. That's Nali with a G-N-A-R-L-Y. And that is playing tonight, 7.30 to 8.30 at Lou Project Spa. Excellent. Thank you so much. And yeah, really encourage people to check that event out. I also know that Vimiak recently put out a report um you know, really detailing the just awful experience of mental health seclusion. And so I think, you know, being able to honor the excellent creative work of um, activists who are, um, you know, bringing these issues around the public mental health system to light through their writing um, is a really important way to yeah, engage with that. Um, I also want to remind people that Radiothon actually goes for a month. Uh, it goes for the whole month, the whole month of June. I know that we only have like a couple of weeks where we're doing dedicated Radiothon shows, but I do want to remind people that they can donate to keep communities strong by going to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate, nominate the Thursday Breakfast Crew, and your donation will go to the same place. Every donation goes to the same place, but it'll make us feel special. Um, you can also call on 9319-8377. That's 9319-8377 on Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or you can also drop, in, drop into the station 
21 Smith Street Fitzroy during business hours. So that's 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. And there are plenty of other ways to donate that you can find out about by heading to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. It's so important to keep community strong by keeping community radio on air. And, you know, there are so many excellent other community radio stations currently fundraising as well. There's Radio Skid Row in Sydney um, who do some excellent programming as well. You know, we're going to we're going to see four triple Z's Radiothon coming up in August. And I just think if you can afford to community radio is a place where you're going to hear things that you will not you will not be able to hear on mainstream media uh, perspectives and framings that kind of cut through you know, dominant framings around stigmatizing First Nations people, people with disability, um, you know, climate justice activists. And I'm just so proud of all the work we do. So thank you for your support. And please keep those donations coming. Now, we're going to go into another song. Yes, we will. Uh, we will be going into uh, Nilotech by Elsie Wameo. And they uh, it's probably a bit of a rap dance hip hop track. A uh, bit of bit of a short track, so everybody get your get your groove socks on, <laughs> get your dancing shoes on on top of that, <laughs> and get ready to dance for two minutes straight. Um, otherwise, that's that's okay too. No worries. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> Stand down, the queen's here, exotic in identity Can never be the centerpiece if you were never meant to be Lathered in the jewels and the gems I'm the masterpiece, just admit I'm the golden piece I'm you still in the making, but I know what be mine I'm divine, take a sip of tea time I'm here to take my place and what was rightfully mine I'll have all the gold and the diamond from the guinea Give me back the tones and the silent in Somali Or run it back the tea that you're sipping, Malawi That ain't even half of it, so Benny, hurry, hurry Congress for the people in the back. Delegated new position, it's a counterattack. Rip up the monarchy, a warning of attack. Yeah, we coming back like we never left, matter of fact. Escort the convoy formation to the lead. Recruit the ones with the mind that we need. Can't shoot that they can never run. Far as they shoot, they be irrelevant. They watching as they folks be killed, they bros be killed, and though they bleed, we need to proceed. We stand to the feet, defending the The end equivalent, the massacre before your eyes, and you're still ambivalent. Moving in increments at this day, it is crippling. No logical, rational state of mind, it's a predicament. It ain't immediate, cause half of your conceded. Assassinate the people who aided to your existence. Now, watching from a distance, shot are lovely by the system. The execute a black man and call police the victim. A pledge of allegiance, practice what you be preaching. Fall up in that legion, marching up, we stand beating the taking over that region. Still fighting for that freedom, that's what goes to unleash them. Get them wrapped up in the vision. Can't stop, won't stop now. 
3CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. They're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moravin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Fasaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. So the last song you just heard was uh, Nilitech by Elsie Wameo, and they have performed next to Sam the Great and Amine, so definitely look out for them and research <laughs> their music. Not research. Have a dance to. Uh, my brain has stopped working, so I'm going to go into the next song to save myself. Uh, the next song is by Socrates, who are Melbourne-born producers, and... They, it's off one of their old tracks, um, old albums, and it's called Kush by, um, it's an Amado Amado Suzo replay. Let's go to it now. daughter sleep or watch the water weep you could say i'm a part of you but really not a part of me pardon me it don't take an average joe to see that i was bumping joe to see not hitting notes accordingly now ain't it just a joy to see the potency of the flow in me beats by stones we just so crazy snow to be all designing stars aligning the czars are timing black moses cadillac with plus shag lining two black peers under black pyramids the sight clear the lids listless years of hearing this some are descends while some are decent and I cup a spirit deep in the sweet seance of the luxury blends. Fire water, Bukowski bread the rent. Toast the limes, dimes, no count linen. And the visions of sweet dick Willie under umbrellas with henchmen. Painting pictures with slurred words, David Lynchin. Visions of living, just kidding, we caught in death. Hollywood resin burned to the lowest depths. Fire water, open portals and chests. Old souls at rest, speaking with my breath until ain't none left. Yeah, they remember me when I was hanging with Mr. Cooper. And now I be bringing the flame to King Cooper. He Gene Krupa, bring rhythm to Lex Luthor. Plus the surplus text, a hotel, I bet it suits ya. In that same Cadillac whip, float like a satellite dish. Bump analog tapes with the light hiss. We dealing in light years. Wonder why we here. Staying humble, this vibe here. Yeah, my dear, it's so great, it's so great. We okay, we don't lay. Decisions of position, so holy, so homemade. It's so great, it's so great. We okay, we don't lay. Decisions of position, so holy, so homemade. It's so great, it's so great. We okay, we don't lay. Decisions of positions up, so holy. Decisions of positions up, so holy. Decisions of positions up, so homemade.
And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And you just heard the track Kush, Amadou Sousa replay by Socrates. Um, just some excellent music coming from our resident DJ Inez. Um, this morning, and hopefully it's got you moving, it's got you thinking, um, question mark? <laughs> but yes, you're listening to 3CR 855 AM, and shortly we will be coming to you with another interview. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist World this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. No crime, no time. Fix Victoria's bail laws now. Prisons are bursting at the seams with poor people. Istra Melbourne is calling on the Victorian government to release unsentenced people on remand from Victorian prisons. First Nations people are 3% of the population, yet represent 29% of the general prison population. 89% of First Nations women entering prison are unsentenced. Istra Melbourne is asking you to sign the No Crime, No Time petition, which can be found on Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. Accent of women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent of women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country? people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent of women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And Inez, you're bringing us the next interview. Yes, uh, we will be speaking with Sayana Fouad, a member of the climate activist group Blockade Australia. 
and they're speaking on the heavily armed police raid at a New South Wales property on Sunday the 19th of June, where climate activists were camped. And the raid was triggered after activists spotted camouflaged, unmarked police officers filming them, followed by dozens of police storming the site and detaining protesters. And often um, a lot of them were arrested, seven of them, and also they've been slammed with extremely punitive bail conditions and charges, some of which carry a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today on Thursday Breakfast, you know, especially given the recent events, Yana. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, thank you. Um, well, i start off with, I know that on last Sunday, the 19th of June, a property in Cologne, northwest of Sydney, um, where climate activists were camped, was chaotically raided uh, by police in unmarked vehicles who refused to identify themselves. And following the surveillance, police stormed the site and searched it for most of the day and detained seven protesters. Would you mind maybe going through briefly the events that actually took place on Sunday? Sure. So 40 of us were gathered on a private property outside of Sydney. Um, we were having breakfast, having a morning meeting when two um, camo people, unmarked, were spotted um, up the slope on quite steep terrain. Um, they were approached by someone in our group, tapped on the shoulder, asked what they were doing. They didn't reply. Um, they then spoke into a microphone, we are compromised. Um, from then, they kind of took down the slope and tried to jump in an unmarked um, kind of SUV that had come down the hill, and I imagine it was their escape vehicle. At that point, the vehicle kind of took off, um, hitting some protesters as it took off, and because we were so confused about who these people were, mm-hmm. um, a ring of people started to kind of develop around the car and start to ask questions. Yeah, I feel like it would have been incredibly uh, disorientating uh, with people who are not allowing themselves to be identified. You're not, you don't know how to communicate with them. And I, yeah, I feel like even the aftermath of what has occurred, you know, seven people uh, were arrested and charged. And, you know, some of them also included unprecedented non-association orders which prevent them from interacting with designated members of the community which is extremely controlling and unusual measures for non-violent activists and I guess what I'm trying to ask is what what conditions what bail conditions and the detention and the ongoing legal action actually mean for those who are arrested and what implications do you think it has on their ability to be involved in climate activism ongoingly. Mm. Yeah, so news that we got from the lawyer afterwards um, was that the police had been surveilling us for at least three days earlier. Um, So they collected a lot of footage about people, you know, moving around the camp space. Um, We were just setting up tarps and stuff like that, and one person ended up getting a conspiracy charge for moving some hard hats. It was a pretty premeditated attack on the group, although I don't think they expected to get caught that morning. So they definitely had to kind of put spin on the events of the day to develop this idea of a crime scene so that they could get a warrant. Um, They hadn't actually got a warrant when they were on the property, so I believe they were there illegally. Um, And they got the warrant a few hours later after detaining us all in a ring in the paddock. So the seven people that were charged... um, they range from like a fray, which is a pretty serious charge usually used for kind of like 
um, gang violence and things like that, mm. conspiracy to commit a crime, um, but conspiracy to, you know, block a road, and um, other things like obstructing um, a police vehicle. And the non-associations they now have uh, with um, 20 other people um, that they understand are part of Blockade, Blockade Australia. Um, but it's a really difficult thing to prove because Blockade Australia is a really loose network of concerned people that are trying to, you know, confront Australia's role in driving the climate crisis. Um, you know, in some ways it's just a Facebook group and it's a mobilisation space that people can gather. So they're trying to collect surveillance to try and pin certain people um, as core in the space. And what that means is that they're just trying to kind of split up um, the movement into segments and make it harder and harder for us to organize um, in a centralized way. Yeah, I feel like breaking up, um, you know, organizing efforts into fractions is a way to, yeah, essentially divide and conquer. But it also is, I guess, disappointing in the fact that, you know, in April this year, New South Wales Parliament passed legislation, um, including fines of up to $22,000 and jail terms of up to two years for protesting you know, quote-unquote, illegally on public roads, rail lines, tunnels, bridges, industrial estates. And we know that this was followed uh, when there were disrupted operations around Sydney's Port Botany in March. So, you know, I guess what I'm thinking, given the recent events and what's happened in April and March in New South Wales as well, what implication does this have on the future of protesting and climate protests in New South Wales, and I know that you know Blockade also has a planned protest at the end of the month. Yeah, so while it's you know deeply disturbing the tactics that they're using, um, we're not completely shocked. You know, the crackdown on climate protests is, is relatively new, but we just feel like this exposes the kind of system that we're up against. You know, um, Australia has always used this kind of intimidation and violence against. People that don't subscribe with the program, especially First Nations people, um, we're expecting to have some repression. This is definitely more than we imagined. And we're so concerned about the climate. We're a really diverse group of incredibly passionate people. And we're very aware that the cops use fear tactics to squash dissent. So we're very determined to keep on organising um, albeit really needing to call out to the community to help back us up, show solidarity and really grow the organising space as quickly as possible to help protect the ones that have been organising so far. Yeah, absolutely. And knowing that, you know, in order to support the diverse voices and the climate emergency <laughs> that is ongoing, um, and we've seen it in the fires and the floods and it's, you know, police repression will only continue to get worse. Uh, what I found uh, interesting in the police's statements afterwards was, you know, you were attacked by, well, charged with, sorry, like with by a strike force guard, and that was set up in March to prevent, investigate, and disrupt unauthorised protests across the state. And the acting assistant commissioner said in The Guardian and ABC that officers were only conducting investigations and that police involved feared for their lives. (laughs) And, you know, given the unprecedented and punitive bail conditions 
and the surveillance footage that was recently released. Can you maybe get, give us an assessment of the relative levels of risk and the power dynamics that are at play? Because, you know, there's a group of nonviolent climate protesters and, like, potentially a premeditated uh, group <laughs> that is coming towards you, I guess. Would you mind speaking to that a little bit? Yeah. Hang on, I just actually have to plug in my phone. It's really hard bush camping. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> so we've completely been lost all our tech and everything, so we're trying to scramble, yeah. but here I am. Um, for us, it's really just exposes the kind of power dynamics that's always been at play, and it's become really obvious that, you know, the state isn't using the same approaches for, you know, right-wingers and people that are really inciting racialized violence um, in the communities. And we kind of feel like this is the way that Australia always deals with political opposition. We're trying to create a movement that's confronting Australia's system as a whole. So the economic and political system of Australia, which we see as more, more, like more than the government, um, which also includes media, corporations and other institutions. So we're going for something big. Um, we're trying to, you know, bring a new radical politic into some parts of the climate space um, and take really big mass action that's sustained. And I think after our really successful sustained direct action at both the Newcastle Coalport and the Port of Botany, um, it's become clear that they've definitely... Targeting Blockade Australia um, for what probably is, you know, we have caused economic damage at times um, and we are growing fast and I think that is um, something they're aware of. Yeah, I understand with, you know, everything that's happened since April and March and your successful organising efforts and as you said, it's, you know, Blockade Australia is growing and... I think what's disappointing is knowing that there will be increased police repression on climate activism. And, you know, as the climate emergency creates exponential harm, people can't just sit back and not say anything anymore. And also, importantly to note, First Nations communities across so-called Australia face immediate threats of climate action and mass incarceration. So I know you've spoken to this a little bit earlier how do you think that we can support all the voices in the climate emergency movement and ensure that police are actually held accountable in future cases? I think we really need to grow um, all of our spaces in the climate movement, especially um, in support of nonviolent direct action. It's a really serious crisis and we need a serious response. It's a really pivotal decade. Um, mm. Australia has, you know, you know, is a massive contributor um, to the climate crisis. It's built on extractivism. Um, it's planning to kind of get ahead in the renewables boom by mining WA and doing whatever it can to continue um, digging up this continent. We're here, like, just fighting for clean air, for drinkable water, for a safe climate. Um, and, you know, people have been doing that. You know, Australia has been resisted um, for 250 years. And then over the last 40 years, there's been a really strong environment movement. But we actually need to go harder. We're still losing ground. Um, we need to really boost the front lines. We need to really support nonviolent direct action. So we need to be supported by the climate movement 
that can stand in solidarity with us. We would love everyone to join us at Immobilizations. We all come from many different campaigns, so people can go back to their hometowns and continue organizing there, but we're really asking for people to come together at these like peak moments to really, you know, get on the streets and um, and confront Australia. Well, you know, Australia's system has made it really clear that they're going to prioritize the expansion of the economy above the future of complex life on earth. Yeah, I think it is very important in order to create movement is through solidarity and, as you said, nonviolent direct action. Lastly, do you think there is any highlights or specific actions you think people can uh, take before we wrap up today? Yeah, well, we've just launched um, our day one. So our mobilisation is happening in Sydney on the streets from June 27 to July 2nd. And we've now just launched a Facebook event for day one. Um, we're going to have a street-style action. We're going to release the location 48 hours before. You can find that on our Facebook. We'd love as many people as possible to gather on that first day at 8am in the CBD to come and show solidarity um, solidarity to push back against state repression um, and really kick off the week with a boom. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll make sure to put that in our show notes. But thank you again for your time and I hope you all, um, you know, find strength and rest in each other as well. Thanks so much. No worries. Thank you. Bye. You've just heard an interview with Zuana Fouad, uh, who was from Blockade Australia, and they spoke on the heavily armed police raid at a New South Wales property on Sunday the 19th of June. And the raid was triggered after activists spotted camouflage, unmarked police officers filming them, followed by dozens of police storming the site and detaining protesters. And a lot of them have been charged with extremely punitive conditions, such as being denied bail, and charges that carry a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series, where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prisons. Beyond the Bars started in 2002, and this year marks 21 years on air. So tune in at 11am each day during NADOC from Monday the 4th of July to Friday the 8th of July for the Beyond the Bars 2022 broadcast. For more information, head to our website 3cr.org.au backslash beyondthebars. CR Radiothon 2022. 3CR. Keep community strong. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser. June 2022. To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2022. Keep community strong.
And next up, we will be talking to Anna Weeks from Frack Free Arts Northern Territory about the continued sponsorship of arts festivals from fossil fuel giants such as Santos, who is a sponsor of the upcoming Darwin Festival. Anna is a community cultural artist who has worked within Australia and internationally on community-directed arts projects for social justice. Anna has a passion for the creation of personal and group expression through the arts with a focus on art as a passage for social commentary to provoke thought and change. Anna has also received the Kirk Robson Community Cultural Arts Development Award for her work over the past 10 years in the field. Hi, Anna. Thank you for joining us this morning. Hi, Layla. Hi. So we'll just get straight into it. Um, could you start by telling me a bit about your work as a creative facilitator and how you got involved with Fossil Free Arts Northern Territory? Yes. So I've been living and working in the Northern Territory for uh, 16 years. There's a little echo, isn't there? We can't hear it on our end, but it is a little bit, it's a bit disorienting when you can hear it on your end. But you sound fine okay. from here, so, yeah, if you I'll can. I'll keep going. Go on. Uh, and, and also in the Asian Pacific, um, making, sharing art with communities um, in all forms, from theatre to stitch work to installations. Um, and I've always walked that uh, fine line between activism and community art and social practice um, because it's such a powerful tool in activism and also when you're making socially engaged art that is reflective of the community it's very difficult to not then need to promote change because mm. you hear from the community on the ground and understand what needs to happen. Yeah, I think that's a really um inspiring role I guess and I, I think that's something that a lot of people are interested in now like myself as a young artist and someone who's very interested in community-led uh, projects and voices uh, I think mm -hmm. yeah that's really amazing that you've been doing it for so long and it's a great thing to look up to um, mm, yeah, love to chat more about it anytime. So just getting down to the nitty-gritty now <laughs> Um, the fight against fracking in the NT has long been led by the voices and action of traditional owners from Larrakia, Tiwi Islands and Bidaloo Basin. I kind of see the relationship between Darwin Festival and Santos as a microcosm of colonial national dependencies on the fossil fuel and extractive industries. In particular, the unwillingness to move away from these profit streams continues to harm sacred Indigenous land and the time immemorial histories that this land is connected to. Could you maybe speak to the main threats to community and land from fracking in the Northern Territory? Hmm. What we hear over and over again from people that are living in areas that are under threat of fracking and where exploration has begun is that it's, it, it's deep, deeply hurtful. So they're seeing their country and their water and their livelihoods and their future generations' opportunities get completely obliterated through this. You know, it's, a, it's a cheap and nasty process of getting the last little drips mm. of gas out of the ground. Um, and 
from what we've seen in the states where they've been using it a lot is that it, it often ends up with you know forms of water contamination and chemical spills and the risk is just too high to even go down that path and and people living remotely on communities they know this like they they read art the they read articles and reports and watch the films like they know the risk and they don't they they don't want it on their country and so people are speaking out really strongly and have been for such a long time um and we we've been we've been uh pushing back on the Darwin festival since about 2015 uh through petitions and um protests and musicians out on stage um, and I think it's just got to stop like we actually know that it cannot go on like this gas actually can't come out of the ground so the fact that our government and these massive multi-billion dollar corporations are pushing forward is disgraceful and we've got a responsibility to stop it. Yeah I think tra- uh, fracking has a really awful track history and it's quite widely known um continuing these processes is just a completely self-interested um pursuit and yet it really doesn't serve many of us um the majority of the nt population don't actually want it either that's just a really strange conundrum or a bind that we're in this addiction as you're saying to extractive industries yeah. Um, so the relationship between arts festivals and these big companies has been referred to more recently as arts washing. I've been hearing this term thrown around a lot. Um, in particular, like the first time I heard this term was, um, I think it was back in 2019 or 2018, uh, where the Perth Fringe Festival and Woodside, there was a lot of kickback um, on the sponsorship of the Perth Fringe Festival by Woodside, which is a big mining company. So I've kind of developed a little working definition of arts washing um, to help listeners understand what that term encapsulates. And that is when a large company or companies utilise their sponsorship of cultural and creative programming to better their corporation's image. However, problematically... These companies often profit from practices that harm the communities they claim to support. So I wanted to ask you, what strategies have Frack Free Arts NT developed to resist deals like this one with Santos? And what are some ways that the community arts and development sector can kind of start to end this reliance on funding from fossil fuel industries? Yeah, it's such a big story, it's in, you know, completely insidious and um, Santos has sponsored the Darwin Festival for I think 30 years now, mm-hmm. um, so they play the long game, they know what they're going to need out of the community and they know that they're going to need the community to like them and gloss over the terrible things that they're doing in remote areas um, because Santos have, sorry I'm off topic Santos are fracking, but they're also proposed one of the largest offshore gas um, 
wells that mm. we've seen in a decade in Australia. So what they're proposing is really terrifying. The community know it. We just had a massive, you know, climate election. Um, so they need, they really need the community on board. So what they need to do is for their name to sit in people's hearts and look okay so that when the terrible stories of the destruction, the oil leaks or the, the, the water contaminations hit the media, just sort of it fades out of people's consciousness. So it's like a, it's an insidious, gross entanglement that they have with the arts and the community and sporting events where they are so heavily reliant. I think they are heavily reliant mm. on these groups and practices to give them social license, to make, to excuse them, to make them look good and, and make make these underfunded areas like the arts and the community sector and, and the community sports sector uh, feel like they need them. Yeah. Whereas I'm, I'm not convinced we need them as much as they need us. Like it's, I, you know, it's, it's 100,000 they give to the Darwin Festival. That's, that's information that's available to people. Mm-hmm. Um, that, the Darwin Festival is a big festival. So a part of arts washing is that they also prey on these festivals that are all, already extremely established, doing amazing work, creating incredible First Nations arts and cultural um, material and they're like, oh, that we're gonna we're gonna attach our name to that. We'll give you a hundred thousand, and then we'll, you know, we'll come along and we'll look fabulous. It's it's just a really icky situation, and it's you know the UK have been pushing back on it for mm. for a lot longer than us with the Liberate Tape movement and the getting the BP out of um, the galleries, and Perth Fringe have been pushing back, you know, with Woodside. So it's just. It's time. It's no longer what what we need is a bit of a conscious conscience shift that the arts need them. It's, we actually just need to. They need us so much more, and what they're doing is so damaging that it shouldn't be our responsibility to make them look good. Yeah, it's too much responsibility, and it hurts people. You know, it hurts when you're when you're on a stage that's sponsored by Santos. You feel terrible. Yeah, I think it really is um, an example of these industries taking advantage of the art sector in vulnerable times and they're basically buying advertising space for their own companies. So I think it's very manipulative Um, and it's really important that we do reveal what's actually behind these programs and festivals because we want them to survive and we want, you know, we want them to be... um, long-standing events in our community and we can't do that when they are reliant on this type of funding that is inevitably short-term and very harmful. So finally, can you tell me what action is happening? Is it today or this week? And how can folks, our listeners at home, support the cause? Hi, fabulous folks. So we actually launched last Thursday... Uh, the Fossil Free Arts NT Collective uh, worked closely with the traditional owners from Beedaloo and from the Barossa, which are two uh, big proposed sites for Santos in Northern Territory that are very important to Santos. And we launched an open letter to the Darwin Festival Board um, asking them to drop Santos. Um, it it was a long, a long slow build. So we, it's Darwin's a small place. 
it, and so it's a very collegial place. So you sort of we see all these people that we're campaigning. What I'd say is with because we want to protect them from the future fallout of being funded by a fossil fuel company. Um, but we see them around. So we'd had a, long, a lot of conversations in the lead up with the Darwin Festival and with our colleagues that work in the Darwin Festival um, and other artists that, you know, like they give their heart and soul to this festival. So it was a long lead into this launch event where we launched uh, 200 signatures on open letter. Um, and then arranged a meeting with the board the following day uh, for the board to listen to what these traditional owners felt about the relationship between Santos and the Darwin Festival. And they spoke about the damage on their land and how that how that is impacting them and their future generations. But what listeners can do now, so there's heaps that we need to do. So we haven't got Santos out of Darwin Festival yet, and it's only the starting point. Because mm. then there's impact and there's all this other, you know, entanglement with the fossil fuels. Um, so people can go to our Facebook page. So there's Fossil Free Arts NT. Artists and creatives, please sign the open letter. We want solidarity across the whole nation. There's also a petition that our, all of our art supporters can sign on to. But write to the Darwin Festival. Like, feel free to, you know, write them a letter and go, hey, we've heard about this campaign. We really support you guys getting an ethical sponsorship um, policy. It's time, you know. Like, festivals all over Australia and elsewhere are making this shift. Do it, Darwin Festival. We, you know, we'd celebrate if you did that, if you made that choice. Thank and the you other so thing much, that we Anna. all need... Can I add one more thing? Oh, yeah, go for it. Which you touched on when you were talking about arts washing is talk talk about it, talk about arts washing. Let's let's start to understand what exactly is going on there. It's not just them giving money back to the community because mm. they take so much. It's it's them relying on the community glossing over all the bad that they do. Yeah. But talk to people. Let's start to make these issues a bit more transparent and we'll make sure to put all of those links in our show notes today. Thank you so much for your time, Anna. We really appreciate it and I hope you have a great day. Thanks, Leila. And that was an interview with Anna Weeks, who's a community cultural artist with a background in community arts and development and who spoke with us today about arts washing and the issue of the Darwin Festival's partnership with Santos. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Wow, carry the stories of our ancestors forever watching over us and protecting us. Join me, tell them Chogo Edwards, for Balamois, a journey of stories, yarns and music about freedom and survival from 2pm to 3pm every Thursday afternoon on 3CR, 855 on your radio dial. As I walk alone on my dreaming track tonight I can hear the voices of my elders Their ancient sound Echo in my mind To the beat of clapstick and the dancing
on Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Coming up to our final interview for the day, and we're joined by Mamad Aidani, who's a human rights advocate, poet and playwright, theater director, and psychosocial researcher. And he's speaking with us today about the play, I Said This to the Bird, which is currently showing at the Institute of Postcolonial Studies with upcoming performances from the 24th to the 26th of June. Mamad's research investigates the violence, torture, trauma, and suffering experienced by Iranian and Middle Eastern immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers who have resettled in Australia and the West. He's currently the vice president of Penn International Melbourne and teaches hermeneutics and phenomenological philosophy at the Melbourne School of Continental Philosophy, and Mamad's writings have been banned in Iran. Mamad, thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure, Koya. Yeah, I really appreciate you making the time. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So, first of all, uh, would you mind providing a bit of context for our listeners um, by uh, by introducing yourself in a little more detail? I think what you did is excellent. Uh, uh, (laughs) The only thing that uh, I have to add to that, uh, as uh, someone who has been living in exile, I have not been able to go back to my homeland for almost 40 years because of my uh, strong uh, views about... um, uh, against censorship in any form or shape, and of course my uh, strong critical engagement with this oppressive regime in Iran. Mm. Yeah, and you've written really poignantly about your experience of exile from Iran, and I was um, yeah wondering if you might be interested in sharing with us how that experience of profound dislocation shapes your approach to creative practice and to your expression of truth and authenticity through art. Very beautifully, because uh, this question is so profound that you could go for hours and hours to explain. Mm-hmm. But uh, the fact that you um, know that you have made an, a determination to speak to the power and also see the truth and speak about it, uh, it's not easy, but I have made a conscious decision to do that, and that simple decision, which is the most profound decision, if you claim to be an authentic or just ordinary, honest human being, put it into a very simple language, then of course it uh, has huge impact on you, uh, because uh, because sense of loneliness and isolation and, uh, and being lost from your roots, simply because you cannot even speak and express yourself in your own mother tongue. So it has been huge impact, but at the same time, that very conscious decision have given me, given me greatest opportunity to get to know myself and do what I absolutely love to do, firstly to express myself and write, uh, especially in my creative space and also my research, but in this case, creative space to 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 be able to. Um, uh, 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 express and uh, question because uh, when we're going to go to the play, all my plays are about questioning. Mm. Of course, once you know the question, I'm blessed with knowing uh, a little bit of philosophy. Uh, within that context, I think uh, it has had huge impact in the way that I look at the world, the way that I talk to any individual, including this one. And and then we need, especially in our contemporary time, we need to pay deeper far more deeper attention to this term that's been very loosened up for authenticity. It's not about the claims about, well, we were born innocent. Maybe we have to die innocent. Mm-hmm. So within that context, I think uh, 
think about it, but the impact being enormous. Uh, and I true that I, I met so many wonderful people. I had so many opportunities to share some of my views, just like what you have just done in this case. Yeah, those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, and I guess leading leading from that, your play, I Said This to the Bird, really presents audiences with an intimate moment between four strangers, Iranian men, who meet in the hall of a migrant resource center after the lifting of public health restrictions in Melbourne, and they're grappling with their experiences of displacement and isolation and hope and despair, uh, which speaks to some of what you've just been speaking about. And this play emerged out of quite a long period of therapeutic improvisational work and writing workshops with the four participants, Reza Kaviani, Merfam Naemi, Asker Mirosaini, and Farhad Bakshi, and uh, the first two are also performing in the play alongside Ramin Montazeri and Mahdi Golam Shahidani. So could you tell us about the process of developing this work along with Reza, Mirfam, Asker, and Farhad? Oh, um, uh, well, process, the term process for me is absolutely fundamental. I don't want to take uh, the time that we have in our disposition. Hopefully in the future we could have more extensive conversation about this. The process was, uh, well, as simply as I could put it in the context of this time that you have, uh, I... Uh, during the uh, 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 earlier stages of the uh, uh, COVID and isolation, I approached um, the uh, uh, institute and said, look, I've got this idea, and I want to write a play. And I said, how? I said, look, I explained. And then <coughs> then I um, approached several Iranian men and, and asked them if they could, in their own isolation uh, at home, wherever they are, write a piece reflecting on how the COVID in this particular case, because they all come here, you know, isolated anyway, impact their own uh, sort of being in that very confined space. And each uh, kindly accepted and wrote four short pieces, monologues. And then, then we, we met uh, a few times, either through Zoom or when there were... Uh, occasional times when we could actually uh, meet uh, to discuss the text. The intention was to direct them to perform the monologues in the theatricals. And we really struggled. And then I decided to suggest to them, you know, I'm a playwright. Do you mind if I go away and write a play? And they said yes. And I said, could you go home and choose pieces of your text that you really feel close to? Mm-hmm. Uh, emotionally and uh, creatively. And they went and we met and workshopped them. And I took those pieces, and there are not many of them, <laughs> but they are so potent. And I took those and I sat for weeks and weeks alone in those isolation and I wrote the play. And I gave it to them and I said, have a read. You should have seen them. What's this? <laughs> and they said, don't worry. Your life is entrenched into this. When I direct it, I'll bring it out of you. Mm-hmm. So we did, and then uh, we gradually started rehearsing. And as you indicated, two of our friends could not continue with us, but we had an- another two who've been um, with us, and they've been doing fantastic jobs. I'm saying that because of the generous and kind bookings of the, these, these nights and mm-hmm. audiences' responses to, to, to the performances. It's very physical play. Mm-hmm. It's easy to uh, attack our senses. And it's easy to it's easy, easy to understand. Uh, so, and of course, 
uh, I translated the, the, the play to English so people could um, have access to the text. Uh, mm. And I used the text as a prop because uh, it's, a, it's a technique that I have developed to challenge our preconceived ideas, our preconceived modes of looking at each other. Mm. And it seems to be break that, break that mode quite effectively. Yeah, and I guess like it also kind of speaks to the the dialogic aspect of of the play in terms of the way that uh, I guess there's this building of relationship and momentum within the play itself. And you did mention this translation because the play is presented entirely in Persian, which perhaps gestures to some of that joy and pain of linguistic connection to a place that one's prevented from returning to. And it does yep. add a level of vulnerability and depth to the work. Um, so what informed uh, that choice? Well, I, I mean, the play written in my language about isolation, alienation, it is a cry for connecting and belonging within one's own and the dominant culture in displacement and exile. So it is about these four strangers who come from the same language and culture. And this term is very important, and I want to emphasize, accidentally, because we meet accidentally. Accidentally meet in a place and reluctantly, nervously, and distrustfully begin to observe, speak, and struggle how to open up to each other. And without, without fear, express what they have on their minds about what they think and feel about the way they are treated in their own culture and the dominant culture in the society. I'm very, very eager to observe this, how many of us refugees, migrants, hardly speak about the forms of alienation that we experience within our own culture. Mm. And this clashes, and then we, of course, freely express our sense of alienation in this culture. I think psychologically, it has huge impact, negative impact on us, and I want to crack that. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously concerned about the way that this multicultural communicates uh, with the other. So this play is a clash between these two, and the beauty and the authenticity and the and the way that this individual just starts with suspicion and suddenly explodes and towards the end, there is a sense of connectedness. It's fascinating. I think that really seems to resonate to uh, both audiences, English-speaking and particularly Iranians, but, but mostly uh, they see the English-speaking um, uh, members and being quite large really been affected by that. This is practically, this is a very innovative, it's never done before, I suppose, or been done, not in this case. So this practice is, is a question, it's the play, really, it's about question of uh, this universal struggle of uh, strangers mm. in our contemporary time, fear in their own culture, the yeah. dominant culture, and how they cope with the feeling of anxiety and alienation, particularly in this period. I, I used COVID as a mm. pivotal uh, sense of feeling isolation, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, a sense of being able to layer a familiar struggle of, of the COVID isolation with potentially unfamiliar to audiences, this struggle of exile and, um, you know, dislocation. And I think the the, the linguistic technique of, of presenting it in Persian, I think, also um, 
creates both a familiarity and a distance through the, the development of the characters through the play in a very sort of raw human emotion term of connection. Um, but then also, you know, having the, the, you know, the performers connect with each other in a language mm-hmm. that they all share, mm-hmm. I think is really beautiful. Wonderful. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So just, w- just to wrap up, when will the next performances of I Said This to the Bird be and where can listeners get tickets? Well, whether I'm, um, I love to say it or not, the, the show has been sold out. Oh, so brilliant. The, yeah. <laughs> so the, 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 we had, the, because there's been such a huge demand, basically, it's an honor, but we added another day, which is uh, a matinee mm-hmm. uh, on uh, Sunday. I'm not sure if there are any tickets left, but I, I talked to the institute. They said they are selling very fast. So oh, wonderful. There might be some left. If people are interested, uh, would put the contact uh, uh, institute as soon as uh, possible. Sure. We'll put that in the show notes. Look, Mama, thank you so much, and you, congratulations on selling out. It, it's um, it's a wonderful um, a wonderful expression, and I really appreciate you making the time. My pleasure. We might be about to take it elsewhere, hopefully. Brilliant. Those who haven't been able to see it, we might, might get a chance to see it again in the future. Excellent. All right. Well, take care and thank you. Thank you for your, thanks for your time. And that was Mamad Aidani, uh, who's a human rights advocate, poet, playwright, theater director, and psychosocial researcher, who was speaking with us today about the play I Said This to the Bird, which is currently showing at the Institute of Postcolonial Studies. But as Mama just mentioned, they've been selling like hotcakes, and uh, potentially there might only be a few tickets left for the matinee, which is coming up this Sunday. So we will share information about that in the show notes. And if you're not able to make it to that play, um, please still check out the write-up on the Institute of Postcolonial Studies and keep an eye out there for any further showings. Um, it is a really yeah, poignant exploration of, I guess, the struggle, the pain, but also moments of joy and exhilaration between four Iranian men who meet by chance uh, at a migrant resource center. And yeah, um, just an excellent, excellent work. That's all we've got time for today on Thursday Breakfast. We will catch you next week. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a podcast produced at 3CR Community Radio. It's Radiothon time. This is when we ask you, the listener, to help keep community strong. This year we need to raise $250,000 to keep the station going. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference. It's so easy to donate. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. We rely on the community's support. Donate to keep community strong for another year. Thanks for listening.